Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 303. And in today's episode, I am going to uh, address a question I got recently that I just loved. I loved it. Sometimes I get a question that I just want to just dive into it. Just And it was, I want to train my dog to be able to go on hikes and stuff with my family or even hunting sometimes a little bit. This is not a hunting-based question or answer, uh, but I don't want to have to use an electric collar, and I, I don't. I, can I train my dog to come when called and heal and sit and listen to me and and all that without having to use electricity or even prong collars? You know, a favorite of a lot of people. Um, like I said, maybe when I'm just a little older. I may switch over to that because I won't have the shoulder strength anymore, but I still I still haven't used those. Um, but there's a place for them. But how can I train my dog to do that, basically, without electric collars? And I remember when I very first got started in the retriever stuff, I had done the AKC obedience show ring stuff, which at least at that time, they just, you just, used a leash and <laughs> you choked in and a leash and taught your dog all that um i don't know if that's still it but when so when i was switched over and started doing the retriever stuff you know every everyone had electric collars and back in those days you know it was the a170 long range right and if you put the five plug in that's the only thing you had and one button and the longer you held the button down the longer the stimulation went they were pretty crude and you know, or if you put in, well, I don't want, I'm not going to need much, and you put in a two plug, and you needed a lot more than that. There's nothing you could do, so that's that's how I learned it with those things. Um, so I learned how to train. Fortunately, now collars are much better. Training systems are much better. Uh, the dogs, frankly, a lot in a lot of cases are a lot better. But do you have to have that? Um, what somebody said to me in the field trout world when I was first getting started with this, a, a very big name, no name back then, said, if you're going to train with an electric collar, a dog all through all this stuff, through the yard, the tee, the swim by, all of that, you should be able to train them without a collar. You should absol- abs- be able to train that dog without electricity, now granted, it's not going to be exactly the same as it is when you do, but you should be able to do that. You should understand the animal enough and the and the, what you're asking enough and the, what enforcement and training pressure and all that is. You should understand that well enough that you can do it the hard way before you do it, you know, which is kind of the easy way now. You just kind of push a button and that's it. And I, I just, that really stuck with me. Uh, uh, that just really stuck with me because all my dog training had been without any of that. And now I was going to have to learn it. And, of course, like a lot of people, I was a little bit, I did not look at it like, oh, give me that thing. This is going to be great. It was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going I'm to have to learn how to do this. And so I have. And um, can you, do I have to, so let me answer the question. So, obviously, do you have to uh, get a dog to be able to stay with you and come when you call by the use of an electric collar? No, but, I mean, that is a, that's a, if you do the, the lead into it correctly, it's very useful and it works really well. And then your dog comes when, and if you don't, if you use it correctly, then they don't get collar-wise. But, I, like, 80% of everybody I ever see using collars makes their dog very 
very collar-wise. You always hear, oh boy, when I put the collar on, they're a different dog, which means, oh, so when you take the collar off, they go back to the old way, and I, I don't know why anybody would want that. So, can you do it? Yes. What's the easiest way? And I spent, I will tell you, a lot of time trying to figure all this stuff out. And in fact, I, I'm just going to say what I have found. Of course, I'm willing to do a lot of physical effort. By that, I mean walking and getting out to places and stuff. But what the, the first and single most powerful tool for any breed of dog, Papillon to an uh, Irish wolfhound, elk hound, whatever those they are, and everything in between, the, the most powerful training tool you have is if you, when you get your puppy at eight weeks or so, that you take them on the walk. I'm just going to say it again, the most powerful training tool because there's no pain, there's no correction, there's no artificial stuff, and I have, I have a lot of talks on this where you and your little eight-week-old puppy go to uh, a wildlife area, local open space, you know, the outside of the golf course at six o'clock on Sunday morning when no one's there, although those crazy guys are there then, but you get the point. I don't care. The big empty field behind the Walmart where there aren't, you know, wild dog packs running so something, or something that could, could harm the puppy. And you set those little guys down and you take off walking. And then some don't come right off. My, my second Pyrenees that I had, I, I've had two Pyrenees. And my second one, I started doing that. And she just stood there like, I'm not, where are you going? <laughs> so what I had to do with her, the little eight-week-old fluff ball, those are awesome, awesome animals. So I just carried her out most of the way and then set her down and said, now you're going to come with me? <laughs> so she did. So that took probably several days. And then she started to do the walk every day, which was and that dog never had a leash on unless we went to the vet and didn't leave the property because of this very thing and the nature of the Pyrenees. But you go out and you do a walk and you don't sit there and baby and coochie-coo them and talk to them and bribe them and encourage them. You just take off and go. And so their biggest driving force is, I got to stay with you. What an excellent thing to implant in the mind of a small puppy who is just beginning to develop its little gray matter right that's one of the you implant that early uh, along with whatever other things you're doing with the dog then you have that built into their thinking I got to stay with I got to stay with him I got to stay with her and you do this well ideally every day you know if you don't have time for that do you have time for a dog but go do this every day take that little hummer out on a walk just you and and just the dog Again, not other dogs because then it's like, oh, playtime, and they're all, and they become more important than you. This is just a thing. Remember, we're trying to save this dog's life a couple years down the road. When we're out hiking and there's somebody over there with a Rottweiler that's really mad, and you need to get your dog with you and go another direction, really nice if they just did that. So that's why. That's why you do it every day. And that's why you go out with the dog take off until pretty soon and yes the little tiny dogs that are way bred down from stuff they they love it at first they there's no context for it pretty soon they love it and you go whatever is lengthy for them uh, not you for them so in the beginning it's five or ten minutes 
and it can get up to 20, 30 minutes. My wiener dog could go out for an hour, miniature wiener, teeny tiny, little tiny legs. And she, uh, she can go for a long, long time. She never crosses her mind ever, never to run away. She's never had an electric collar on and never will. And she comes on that collar. Now, if she's on, if she's on a trail of a bunny, okay, I'm probably not gonna, well, I might. My other wiener dog, I could call him. Her, I'm not sure. I've never tried to, though. But when we're out together, she's with me, period. And she doesn't know any different. I didn't need electricity. I had just, she went on the walk every single day of her life and still does. Um, and so that's just built into the thinking. Oh, here we are. We're together. Oh, she wants me over there now. So... One of the easiest ways to get your dog to stay with you or come when called, and, and it's, there's more to it than just that. But that's one of the ways. If you go do that, but again, you got to get up out of bed. You've got to get somewhere where you can have the dog off a leash, which means you can't just walk it around the block on the sidewalk. You can't take the family. You can't take all the other dogs. This is an, a really significant, important training step that is worth the time to do this. So if you do that and preferably maintain that and keep it going, you have a dog that when you go out the door or get out of a vehicle, however you get there, that doesn't instantly trigger a, now run. That's why I say don't go to dog parks. Go through the gate, ah, go nuts. No, we're gonna, we're gonna get out and get down on the trail or go through the, out in the rough stuff and here we go. And they're going to learn all about the world and they're going to learn what stuff they can step on and what stuff not to. And don't go smell the bees when you see that. And don't, there's going to learn so much, which is a great pleasure to an animal. Not given enough when they just live in the back backyard in the living room. A great pleasure to learn about things, to experience things, to get stronger, to have to think, and to form this extremely strong connection with you. And we're not creating any of those places where the dog just takes off. There's just, and that, it never gets into their thinking, and so it never becomes something they do. And if you can do that re fairly religiously, like every day, um, you will have a dog that stays with you, goes with you, and doesn't really know about the other stuff. And you don't give it opportunities to learn that. If you take other dogs out with you, and they're out running around, then they tune you out and tune into each other and just run and have fun. That is not the goal of doing this. It's the dog to put get just absolutely cooked into its thinking, where is he? i got to stay with him. Where is she? I need to be with her. Not in a fearful or anything way, just that this is what we do. You're the head, you know, the alpha dog, the pack leader, and this one's staying with you. And it becomes what they do in their life. I've done it with every dog I've ever raised or ever owned. Uh, I would never not do it. I've done it on rat terriers. I've done it on Pyrenees. I've done it on every kind of retriever in the world. I've done it on dachshunds. Works across the board. That's part one, and that's huge, because now we have never created the problem of, oh, I'm bored, I'm going to go do something, I, you know, or I'm tired of you, I'm going to open the door, and I'm out, right? People create that problem by not giving them a context for how, how this works. 
It's you and me. I don't have to have a leash to make you listen. But if you st- you got to start early. I don't. It's a lot harder if you take a two-year-old that's already learned to run wild, and then and then try to take them on a walk off leash. They're gonna just go run wild. So the idea is to get this going before they know anything, and just have the thoughts that go into their mind and the responses and the relationship and the behavior that you want. Much easier. Much, much easier if you do that. Now, let's take a, another part. So that's the part where you teach them we're together, we're a team thing. I'm really important to always be aware of me. So now if you just want some of the finer points of that, you know, and let's just say basic obedience. I would hope everybody wants basic obedience, right? Everybody wants it. You want a dog that walks with you on a leash and isn't, you know, pulling you all over, dragging you, making all kinds of demands. That when we have the leash on, you don't make any demands now. You're going to just walk with me. You're not going to pull, jerk, tie me in a knot, step in front of me. You know, for those of us who run or do things on a bike with dogs, crossing in front of you is a, is a, that is a red zone. Don't you dare go there. And so you teach them that actually on the walk. Don't ever get in front of my feet. That's just not a zone you ever want to be. And then when you're running or walking or doing anything with them, crossing over in front of you uh, is not an option. And if you run or on a bike, that that's a wreck right there if they do it. So on the walk, you teach them, don't ever cross in front of me. Just, just don't go there. And then when you do other things with them, they don't cross in front of you. But so when we have on a leash, you still don't cross in front of me, but you're going to walk on the side of preference. Make, pick a side for the dog. You know, if you're going to be a two-sided healer, then pick that and train it equally. But if you're going to just be, you know, with the dog, I'm right-handed, so the dog's on my left side, then teach them that. And teach them that we walk, when we do this, and it can't be just little. You can't do that with an eight-week-old dog because their little bones are rubbery and you can't be using leashes and stuff. And if you just put a big flat collar on any dog, then it becomes basically a tug-of-war. You pull back and that collar disperses that stress over their whole neck. So they just kind of lean into it and you basically have a standoff there on which one of you pulls harder. That's why I use a choke chain if you're a little bit weaker or have trouble with that. Um, I I really prefer it because you don't hurt a dog with that. I have used them all my life and never hurt a single animal ever. And I'm not a, you know, dainty. I mean, it's like I can make them do the stuff. You got to heal, you got to set. But, and I don't, don't use the harnesses because you cannot require quick responses with the harness. So when you're teaching them obedience things, when they are physically capable of doing it and mentally capable of understanding and being taught, you teach them, this is what I want you to do. I am going to probably fly in the face of many uh, city trainers that you tell them good dog when they're doing what you want. You ignore them when they don't. Does not work on this. (laughs) It does not work unless they have no interest in doing anything with you. And then they'll just walk along because there's nothing else to do. But if they're highly motivated, like hunting dogs, like my dachshunds are, if they're highly motivated, you know, they want to get going and go do something. And so they have to learn, no, you got to walk next to me. And I don't let them ever learn to pull. And I teach them to walk with me. And I do that in very short spurts. 
the limited attention span for a puppy, we're talking about a few minutes, not half hour, all right? Not even 10 or 15 minutes. I don't do that with almost an adult dog uh, on this, just this basic stuff. You just require a very quick response. If you wait for them to figure out from the good dog thing, you're never going to have a quick response because they have to mull it over and decide whether they're playing the game you want or not. When you use a leash and you require that they be next to you with the word heel or you require that they sit and remain seated with sit, you create a short synapse, short neural path, which means the dog doesn't think about it. They just do what you ask. And I'm going to just say that again in case anybody's listening to this to actually how you do it. If the more they think about it, that's time. And it also opens the door to choices. Time and choices. As far as healing and sitting and coming when called, I don't view that as a place where a dog has choice. Right? If I t tell you to sit or to come here, that's what you're going to do. And I don't, I'm not going to teach that. And I don't teach it now with electricity. I don't teach anything with electricity. I try to create very short neural paths, right? So that when I say sit, bottom goes down. They don't think about it. They don't wait to hear a good dog and see if they feel like doing it for me. It's a very short neural path with no thoughts and no choices. And that's not hard or tough. It just means you have really good timing. Heel means be at my side. Whether I'm moving or not moving. Sit means drop your bottom. Keep it there until we're done. Here means to come to me or move closer to me if you're right by me. That's all they mean. And if when you say that word, you require that they do it right then and communicate you don't have a choice and you're not going to think about it. You're just going to do it. When you create that short neural path, then whether you have and do it well and really build it into the dog, condition it into how you interact with them, then when you don't have the leash on and you don't have an electric collar on, and you tell them, come here, they, they come here. Or you tell them to sit, they sit. Or you tell them they heal to heal because you removed that little place where they think about it and decide if they like it or would rather choose to do something else. You remove that in your training. And when you do that, then you can have a dog that doesn't require uh, the use of pain or enforcement to do what you ask. That does not happen on a three-month-old dog or even a six-month-old dog. But if during all those very formative times, you go into this getting into their head thing that I'm talking about, one on the walk, you are everything. They stay with you. You are it. You don't be barking out commands and doing this kind of work out there. That's the place where the two of you are just moving through the world together and the dog goes wherever you go at your speed and if you go over the log it tries to go over the log with you and if you go through the stream it does that and if you turn around and start to head back it does that that's where you get that going if there's no leash and barking at commands and stuff like that <clears throat> you may have to leash them up when you get close to the parking lot or wherever you entered this place that you're doing this but other than that it's just the relationship thing but when they're old enough to physically be taught obedience not bribed with stuff. See, when you, you the treat thing. Here's my deal with the treat thing. So when I tell the dog to sit and then have the treat, there's this whole long thought process going in there. Oh, I smell a baking bit. I will sit because that's how I get the baking bit. I don't want them thinking about 
eating. I want them, if I call them or tell them to sit, I want them to do that so that they aren't thinking about it or seeing what's in it for them. And that's how you train dogs to be responsive and to do things without prong collars, without electricity. And that kind of goes, you know, if it, electricity, the, the appropriate use of electricity makes the fancy dog stuff that we all do very doable, very feasible. It also is easy to overdo and it's easy to underdo. So it takes, I, I feel, a real understanding of, of the dog and what it is you're trying to accomplish. But for those who have collar-wise dogs, those are always created. And it's because, it's because they creep, there's an association. There's one kind of thing that happens when they have the collar on. And there's another kind of thing that happens when the collar's off. And a set of expectations. And then they're collar-wise. So then if you're in a place where you've got to have the response, you've got to have the collar on. Again, that's not necessary even on our fanciest dogs. Because if you, one, do that walk thing with them, I'm telling you, that's amazing. If you do that, and then you, when you do, do your obedience, you do it so that you remove the choice-making and the thinking about it. You don't say sit five times to get them to sit. You say, say it once and then they sit, whether with your assistance or not. So that in their thinking, you have removed that place where the trouble starts. They just hear the word and then they just do it. And so then on the fancier the retriever stuff where we use the collars, we just reinforce that response. We reinforce that short neural path whether it's on heel sitter here, whether it's on fetch, whether it's on back, whether it's on the tweet sit way out there, all we're doing is saying same thing here as we've done before. And I, I'm just going to enforce it just like I enforce stuff with the leash in close. I can still enforce this. But they've always had a collar on and the, your, your interactions with them have always been the same. And you've always... Remove the choice part and remove the, well, consider it. Oh, good, you decided to sit. You take that part out and go, oh, sit, drop bottom. When you do that and then you go in and you just replace your, the enforcement you used before with electricity, for those of you that do that, that's how you do it. So, yeah, can you get through teaching a dog to handle and run blinds and do all that stuff without a collar? Yeah, you have to work smart and hard. And it isn't how tough you are. You know, they used to, what, use shotgun blast to force a dog to go. Um, you know, I, I, I could never have done that, and I wouldn't do it. But you can get most of our guys to go on back without causing, without having to, to use electricity. However, used correctly, it's much quicker. They understand, and you get it done. But it's not about the tool you're using. It's about your interactions with the dog and if you're in their head or not. If just working with your dog is something you do when you come home from work and who knows what the dog's been doing all day and it's like, oh, let's go out and do something. And now all of a sudden your expectations change and the dog has to do all this stuff. That's, you know, I, I don't know how successful that'll be. But if you understand, okay, when I get this puppy... I'm going to be very thoughtful about our interactions and thoughtful about what I do. And as they start to grow up, I'm going to go in there and condition some of these responses that I want to have always because I can keep my dog from running across the street and getting hit or chasing a dog that doesn't want to be chased. 
that's what we're trying to do. So let's just teach the dog that when I say something, it just means it. And it's not, again, it's not, a, you don't think about it, and you certainly don't decide if you want to do it or not. So those of you in the advanced stuff that are having problems where dogs are making decisions and, and making choices, it's because they've been allowed to do that. It, that has grown and developed. And so then people always want to go after that with a lot of enforcement pressure and stuff. And it's like, it's sometimes that's all you can do. But it's because somewhere along the line, you opened the door for, oh, well, what, what would you like to do? Do you think you should go to the left? Um, well, come on, let me ask you again. I, it's just a very, very simple thing. So the answer to, can you train a dog without electricity? Yes. Can you train them where you can do a lot of calling them when they need to come and doing all that? Yes. But it all depends on what you have helped install in their head. You know, are they spoiled rotten until people are looking and then you want them to behave? Not going to work. And you know, this isn't being tough on a dog. It's just thinking a lot about it. That's what really caring about a dog is as far as I'm concerned. It's like, I, this is what I want you to learn. This is what, how I want you to see all of this. And so when you're ready, this is what I'm going to teach you. So, yes, you don't have to have an electric collar. And I wish everybody that used them you know, had to try to do it without them to really have to learn about these interactions with the dogs. So I'm just going to sum it up. Uh, if you teach a dog when its little brain is forming and it's learning about the world and the interactions and what the expectations are for it, that's your time where you can install all this stuff. One, the walk. Again, that's not commands. We're not, uh, we don't have a big cord on them, jerking them around. We take an eight-week-old. It cannot get away from you. So you can take that out and teach it the wonder of the world out there and the joy of just the two of you being together. And then when it gets a little bit older and you can start teaching basic obedience, the heels, sit, down, whatever you have. You don't need a 57 commands, all right? And further, I'm going to say, I don't care who you are, I know the hand signal thing is fun, but also make sure they do it to the verbal, because if they're not looking at you, you still want them to do things. So that's part of the reason you need them to be very responsive to a single verbal command. Single. Not repeat, repeat, repeat till they get it. A single, and then they do it. And when you teach them that way, which takes some thought, doesn't take oodles of time, but it takes working every day with some thought in it. Then you have a dog who only knows to respond to you. That's it. That's what they know. And life is wonderful, and they never get in terrible trouble ever, and they don't have to get corrected because this is what they know and this is what they do. So that's for that's for today. I hope that answered that question. Kind of lengthy, but I think a hugely valuable uh piece of information if anybody's interested in that so that's today's uh winter's winter's kind of going to be waning i look forward to that we need to get back in the water here in colorado with our dogs it's still a little bit white um but i hope everybody is doing well staying safe and healthy and happy and i will be back next week